Welcome to the Leadership Drip, coffee and conversations for leaders leading the next generation. We're excited to welcome another incredible guest to our table, but before we do, could you do us a favor and hit the subscribe button? And while you're at it, go ahead and give us a five-star review. That helps these conversations reach other great leaders. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready to join us at the table for another great episode of the Leadership Drip. Rob, welcome back to the table here at beautiful Lee University, and the leaves are slightly changing. So is the weather. The weather. Oh, I'm I'm in a sweatshirt today. I, right. Well, I'm still in a t-shirt. Okay. Because my body core is nuclear. Like, well, I was told you know, that it's the, this is what I was told by young adults. Since we talk about young adults, yeah. hoodies are out. No, crewnecks are in. Really? Yes. This like, is fashion tip 101 for fall. I'm, I'm still seeing a lot of the hoodies. Are we wow. talking about V-neck, V-neck sweatshirts? No, 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 no. Just a straight crew neck sweatshirt. Oh, crew neck sweatshirt. Okay. Yeah. Logo based crew neck sweatshirt. I can't so, keep up. I can't keep which, up. Which, you know, I mean, these are your fashion tips we're getting. And I don't know why we have this conversation, <laughs> but we do have somebody fashionable. It's right. awesome on the show. Incredible. All the way from Colorado Springs, our friend Natalie Runyon who goes by raised to stay on the Instagram. Yeah. You're tracking with her. Her Instagram is just killing it. The content's amazing. So she's out in Colorado Springs uh, with her husband, Tony, and their sweet daughter. She's on staff at New Life Church. One of our good friends was there for a long time, Glenn Tachium. That's right. We right. had him on the show. And she's the pastor of women and creative pastor of the family ministry. And her first book is coming out in June of 23 uh, with the same title, Raised to Stay. Love it. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much. It's an honor to be here with you. Okay. So as a Coloradian. Coloradian? Co- did I say that right? Coloradian? That's had, Coloradian. Is that I'm right? Still, I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm six years in. I don't really okay. know. Okay. <laughs> so as a, as a, are you into the V, the, what is it? The crew neck sweatshirt or that what we're talking about? Yeah. Or the hoodie vibe? Like what's your vibe here? I'm a nineties kid. So I'm going hoodie all the time. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. I just feel like the hoodie is just my, my home. So right? that's where I'm going. So cozy. It is like, it is like the jam, <laughs> right? You know? I like it. I'm, yeah. I'm a hoodie guy. So be- before we started talking and as we sort of connected, we realized we're all part of that same tribe denomination. Yeah. We won't name it, but the, everybody knows what it is. If you listen to the show, you know, yeah. So, so I got to ask, this is the question I had, like, is immediately I recognize you're kind of same generation. Now at camp, did you guys have mixed bathing? Is that what they called it? Oh, no, no. Actually in the church of God camp that I went to, there was a huge red fence that circled the swimming pool at camp and the boys would like go up to the game room and try to sit on the roof to peek over at us in our speedos, which we might as well have been in like, you know, dresses dresses at that point so yeah i mean it was just to just to get the gander at us in our speedos because let me tell you that that was something to see (laughs) for for those of you who come from a different faith tribe the mixed bathing was where boys and girls were not allowed to swim together in uh, in the church of god since we're into this you'll appreciate this story okay since we since you brought up the topic we're already off pretty off topic i don't care anyway you know we're the it doesn't matter so I became a Christian later after I got out of the Marine Corps, right? So there's that piece of the reality. Didn't grow up in church, got saved in a church of God church, was going to go on a mission trip with another church. And the pastor of my church told me I shouldn't go. And I asked why. And he says, because they believe in mixed bathing. I'm a non-believer. Like, I'm a new believer. I'm like, they take baths together? Like... <laughs> 
like that's what they do and he's like no he's like they swim in pools together i'm like like swimming pools i'm like i was so confused yeah yeah it's some rules we made up so but natalie you grew up a pastor's kid i grew up the a grand pastor's kid if that counts i grew up i grew up daughter is a pastor's kid not my daughter i mean your wife your wife's pastor's kid and now we all have pks because we're in this thing together but um what was life like as a pk you know, my dad was not like a seminary guy. He was saved later in his twenties and he went through evangelism explosion. So for me as a pastor's kid, it was a lot of outreach. It was a lot of getting out on the streets and meeting people. And so for us, it was not a lot of that legalism that some of my other pastor's kid friends grew up under like the generational pastor homes. It was actually a lot of fun for me. And that's what I have to like go back through counseling and stuff and be like, am I just gaslighting myself? Was it really worse than I thought it was? But I really did have a really fun pastors could experience. My parents loved the church. We lived in the parsonage. I went swimming in the baptistry when I was bored. Like, you know, we just lived this life with the church people, funerals, weddings, lots of good food. Southern church of God food is like to die for. Um, I think it's why I eat now when I just am happy or sad because it was just part of our world. And so being a pastor's kid for me really was a lot about just being around a ton of people that I loved. And so there we'll get into the hard parts of it, but honestly, like when I look back on it, I really did have a family who just loved the people of God. And I think um, a lot of reasons, that's why I still do what I do. So yeah, there's a lot of hard parts. We'll get to that, but what's maybe a favorite memory from growing up a church kid. I remember summers being my absolute favorite because we had camp meeting camps, summer revivals. We got in the bus and we did parades for like the 4th of July and Memorial day and labor day. It was just everybody, all hands on deck. We go to Taco Bell at midnight, like every night after youth group, there were bonfires and pig roast and, you know, things went wrong. Like we burned the pig one year and there was a giant fire in the field. And, you know, there are things that, you know, you look back on and you think that was a really weird thing to say that was fun when you were in high school. But I mean, I really did grow up at the, with the best people and the summers were just back to back, just excitement and events. So I think, you know, I think it's a, it's an interesting caveat because I didn't grow up that way, obviously. And, and my wife did, and she was at every camp, either she was working camp or attending camp. Mm-hmm. And so I know that, you know, there are obviously there are lots of pluses and minuses, but I think one of the things that that really instilled, at least what I've seen from her and her conversation is an overwhelming sense of connectedness to people, right? So even like today, you know what General Assembly is, you grew up Church of God. So it's like the the biannual, you know, business meeting for the entire denomination, right? Even today, like all these years later, when we go to General Assembly, she's still seeing people that she knew from camps or from, you know, college or whatever. And so I think that's a, that's a really cool component. I think that we undervalue, um, maybe not just denominationally, but maybe even kingdom of God wise, like what those connections create for us. And so I'm glad to hear that, you know, there was, there was that positive experience for you. Yeah. And I think too, when we are and raising my own pastor's kids now, when we teach ourselves and our kids to love the people first, then our position Mm -hmm. comes secondary. And so we kind of are willing to do anything because we just can't wait to be with the people. And I I think that's what, um, when I think about it now, when things get hard and I think I should just quit, I don't want to keep doing this. 
it's really the thought of leaving the people or not being connected into the family of God that holds me in rooted. Yeah. 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 So you mentioned before we got on the air a little bit of the struggle your dad faced. Um, church is hard. Church work is hard. In watching that sort of take place and, and your whole platform now is you're raised to stay and you're trying to encourage people to stay involved, stay connected to the body of Christ, stay connected to local church. Was there ever a moment in your own journey where you're like, I'm out, deuces, I'm done? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it. We would have technically been graduating from the same class of Lee in right? 2002 had I gone to Lee. But it was my senior year of high school that we were at a church of God and something just happened that traumatized and really devastated my family where we ended up having to leave a church and really run for our lives. It felt like it felt like a great like exile. And we ended up living on this horse farm and like 30 minutes from my high school, I was going to a public high school and I really had to wrestle for the first time with being angry with the church and with yeah. people that I thought I could trust and the people mm. that I thought had my parents back. And it really did feel like a, a Saul and David moment where like, if I could have killed my Saul, I, I would have, but the Lord was reminding me that, you know, revenge was not part of his plan, that there would be reconciliation at some point. And so I just made this last minute decision to not go to Lee and to attend a very public university, Miami of Ohio in Ohio. And honestly, guys, I think it saved my life in a lot of ways because I got there and I had to fight for my faith for the first time. I didn't go to church anywhere. Um, I had atheist professors and a Jewish roommate and boys living on my floor, which if you think mixed bathing's bad, wait until you're like sharing yeah. a shower room. Um, I had my life really turned upside down. And it was the first time that I really questioned, am I called to be in ministry? Like, was it just my parents' ministry? Do I even have a ministry? What if this was just a bunch of smoke and mirrors and I was burning my rap CDs for no reason? You know, I just started having all of these yeah. like... <laughs> you know, question. So I did yeah. spend about five years thinking like, I don't know that this is like what I want to be part of. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting uh, reality. I think, and I know part of your heart and part of your mission and even part of what you're writing about is that stay engaged component. And we talk a lot about it on the show, but, but talk to me a little bit about the misconception, because when, when, when we tell people about Jesus, when we tell people about the beauty of his church, the bride of Christ, right? I mean, we usually articulate it in such a way as it seems very, very attractive, and we don't allow for the margins where there actually are human interactions and human exchanges that are not pleasant, right? So kind of unpack that a little bit, because with listeners who are struggling with why should I go to church in the first place if I can just be as hurt there, if not hurt more by the people that I'm supposed to trust? So, mm -hmm. so I mean, there there is no excuse for it per se, but it is a part of the, the reality. So kind of unpack that for me a little bit, because I think that's a really difficult topic to tackle. Yeah. And depending on your personality and the way you are raised, we can really look at things through either rose colored glasses and kind of gaslight ourselves and think everything's fine. I'm fine. Or we could be on the other end of being very cynical and scared and suspicious all the time. And so I know our listeners are coming from a wide spectrum of emotional health, spiritual health, all of that. Right. And I really do think that we have to just understand that it's very easy to attach Jesus to imperfect people. And we expect people to behave like the son of God. We expect Christians 
to, because they have the title Christian or pastor or leader attached to their name, we attach a perfect God to imperfect people. And I think with spiritual maturity and health, we realize, oh man, like that's actually not at all what I should be doing. I should be stepping into these imperfect places, trusting that just like God gives me grace and gives me mercy and gives me forgiveness that I too, am going to have to walk in with a reality check that some people in this room might hurt me. Some Mm -hmm. people might say things that are going to hurt my feelings. I may be offended. I may feel not wanted. There may be days I feel unseen, but God is still on the throne And those few people are actually not the norm. They're kind of the exception. So I've had to like really go through a lot of counseling and deep spiritual work to be able to walk into a church sanctuary and really look for Jesus first and then people second. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's an interesting component. I I would say from the tribe, we come from counseling is not a norm. Like like just getting counseling it has not been the norm at least generationally when we were right. coming up now right. it's becoming more common um so I, I love this conversation that it's that it's a spiritual exploration and work of the lord and it's some work we got to do on our own side um so i feel like church hurts a common conversation we're in like whether it's reality or not everybody seems to have some what sort of sparked in you to become a voice in, in that space? Because raised to say, really, your posts and your Instagram and excuse me, the little black boxes, they're really a lot about those who have been hurt by the church. What, what sort of thrust you into that conversation? When I was 40. So actually, today's my birthday. I'm 43. Happy birthday. Today. Thank you. (laughs) I know. Um, When I was 40, you guys, I had this moment. I was walking the dog. And, you know, we think it's going to get easier as we get older. Um, But honestly, I think what happens is we start to realize that some of the things that we thought were normal are actually not normal. Some of the things we had experienced Mm -hmm. growing up were actually traumatic, if we are honest, or at least affected us more than we realized. And I was just having this moment with the Lord that I was like, you know what? I'm done. I I didn't sign up for this. I am tired. I feel like everywhere I go, it's the same people, you know, different faces, but same situations. Mm -hmm. And I'm tired of being disappointed. I'm tired of Mm -hmm. finding a Saul at every corner. And I'm tired of having a Judas at every table. You know, I have a degree in kinesiology. I can go be a personal trainer again. I'm ready to tap out. And I told the Lord 40 years feels like a good, holy number to be done. Like, I just feel like 40 years in the ministry. I'm like, peace out. And, you know, he kind of had these conversations and being Pentecostal, you get it. It's like, we grew up under so much encounter. Like we're waiting for him to give us chills or like say, go to Nineveh or, or whatever it is. And that day he corrected me. And he just said, you know what, Natalie, you keep going back to the same Egypt because your whole life, you felt like you have to fight for yourself. When people hurt you, you have to be defensive. Mm -hmm. And when people say things, you have to protect your name and your family. And you have never let me defend you. You've never let me protect you. This has never been about you being a worship leader or being Pentecostal or, or just proving that you're a tough girl and that you can just hang with everyone. This actually is a ministry that I'm going to give you. And guys, I swear to you, I heard the audible phrase raised to stay. And he said, you will not be leading revivals and worship. If anything, for the rest of your life, you're going to tell people they can't quit that he who began a good work in you is going to be fit. It's I'm going to finish it. Mm -hmm. And I started bawling and like 
doing the things that Pentecostals do like on the sidewalk right there and took off <laughs> running. Like the dog was like, what? And in Colorado, it's not easy to run because of altitude. I mean, I am like sprinting to my house and I Googled raised to stay and there was nothing. Oh, there was man. nothing. And you know what? I, I just told the Lord, okay, like be it unto me as you have said, you're right. I don't get it. I don't know why I'm still here. I don't even know like how I'm going to keep doing this or even if I know what I'm doing, but I will be honest. And I wrote my first black box. I, it just said, um, the church did not hurt you. A few broken people did don't quit. You were raised to stay. And I just threw it on my personal Instagram account and it just was received with so much response. And I thought, oh my gosh, I know why God made me. He made me to tell people they can't quit. And my yeah. whole life changed in that day. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that is so cool. What a, what a, what a great I mean, story. your, your Instagram is like, it's like speaking my language. Yeah. Like there's some of us who speak that language and it seems like most every post, those little black boxes, I go, oh my gosh, that's me. Like I, I grew up in church, grew up church of God for the most part, had some other faith experiences, have left and came back at times, um, navigated hard roads. And, and I've been there, like there have been days lately even like so uh brian who's a, a guy in my church and we our church just turned one and so brian's a former pastor missionary who sits in our church we're blessed by him and he comes up to me and he goes so which sunday did you quit <laughs> and i was like i was like it was halloween yeah. halloween sunday when everybody went to the to the block party and didn't come to church and there's like 12 of us you know in this church plant i was like i quit that sunday and he goes and you got back up monday and started again i said exactly because because I think if you've been in ministry anytime, like this is your language, you have quit at some point, you have you have gone to God and been like, I'm done, I'm out, I can't handle this. And there's some people who just aren't staying. Um, and maybe some people shouldn't. I don't know. What what are your thoughts on and, and give us some of that? There's some people who, who may need a break. I, yeah, I mean, all of college was my break. I went yeah. to some little you know, campus churches every now and then, but campus crusade for Christ actually saved me. I think on a lot of levels, because it was a non-denominational ministry that brought in people who were struggling with pornography and who had overcome suicide, all these things. And my, my world went from this very small church of God uh, mentality to suddenly a broadening of who the church was outside of just what I knew it to be. And so while I wasn't going to an actual physical building, I was on my own wandering and kind of wondering my way through this mm. to say, okay, God, give me a glimpse of what your church looks like. Even though I'm not physically attached to a physical church right now, I am seeing the church all around me. And the more that I was involved with crusade and with Bible studies, the more I wanted to be part of a church body again, because I saw some redemption in it through people who had figured out that they could drink a little bit and they weren't going to go to hell or have a cigar and it was fine or um, you know, just people that were somehow it felt like they found a loophole to all the rules that I had grown up with, you know, wearing two piece bathing suits and still loving Jesus. And I think I just had to go on my own journey and sometimes leaving can be the healthiest thing. But mm -hmm. when I say leave, I mean, still abiding in Christ, right? We can leave a church and take a break and still love Jesus. However, the family of God is a huge part of our relationship with Jesus. That's why he gave us the body of Christ. Right. So I would say, don't stay gone too long, find some sort of a community that can help you wander well. 
um, even if it is a counseling environment, but definitely I am grateful that God didn't let me completely disengage from the church. Yeah. I mean, even in my own story and, and Jeff knows this story. I mean, um, my wife and I, we were, we were in a ministry hurt situation and we decided to leave the ministry altogether. And so my five-year break from full-time ministry was in the political arena, right? So um, what with the law school and, you know, master's degree and all that stuff. But point is like in those five years, I never lost the sense of God's presence or God's calling. I just was really trying to figure out what that meant for me. And I stayed engaged with the local church body. We served as best we could, like, but God was doing a tremendous like restorative work Mm -hmm. in me in that process. And I mean, I wish I had time to tell the whole story, but I don't, but the, the long, the long story short is, there came a place of reconciliation between myself and God and myself and the other person that unlocked everything else for me to put, put me where I am today, so to speak. So, so yeah, I think, I think leaving or separating or how, whatever phraseology you want to use is important, but I love what you're saying there. Leaving doesn't mean disengaging, right? Right. I think, I think that's a critical distinction, the difference between leaving and disengaging. So, okay. So we're talking about church hurt and I, we've heard a little bit about your story now that you're really kind of pushing things and getting traction, having conversations, how are you helping people or young adults determine between what is church hurt and what is just perceived hurt? Because I think there's a distinction now. I'm not, I value everyone's like, perspective. I get it. So they perceive it as church hurt, but there's also a maturity conversation in there just because somebody corrects you or just because somebody says something harsh to you or just because somebody says, you know, uh, uh, whatever, right? The point is that doesn't necessarily qualify as church hurt. That just may be some growing pains and maturity pain. So how are you helping people kind of distinguish between those two things? Well, the post that I wrote, accountability is not church hurt, is actually the one that took my account from about 7,000 people in July to where it is now. And it was met with a resounding split response. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Because thanks to TikTok, we now have a place for people to be validated in everything from what they're feeling to what they experienced. And so they use this word gaslighting a lot. Mm -hmm. Don't gaslight me. Don't tell me that it wasn't hurtful. Don't tell me it wasn't painful. You don't know me. There is so much of this because we have these public platforms now that kind of sit with us in our pain and wallow with us rather than call us up higher. And that post was not to disqualify anybody's pain, but what it was, was a wake up call that we have to be really careful when we use the word church abuse, that we don't actually take away what that really means to people who have been sexually abused, raped by youth pastors, um, whatever. I mean, been in pornography situations, we cannot use that word abuse just flippantly because then it really does devalue those who have gone through some of the most horrific pain that a person Mm -hmm. can go through. We also have to be careful when we say church hurt because the church does not always 
be, they're not always responsible for hurting us. It was one person who maybe said something or did something that we really truly just did not like. And we carried offense or as church people are so good at doing, we started carrying other people's offenses. Well, mm-hmm. I heard so-and-so did this to somebody and we become suspicious rather than discerning. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of us, we have to understand that when we are afraid, when we are offended, we, that discernment that God has given us will sometimes turn into suspicion and suspicion turns to anger. And then anger turns into whatever we spew it out on social media. I would say a spiritually healthy person would understand there is a difference between being offended and truly being mistreated. There's a very different, big difference. I would say there's a huge difference between showing up in a church environment and being miscommunicated with unintentionally. And then also being on a church staff where you're truly being mistreated. There's so many of these caveats. Yeah. But when we are hurt, we respond out of anger. Anger is a secondary emotion. So when you see all this anger being spewed on social media about the church, what I am learning is that people aren't actually mad. They're disappointed. They're sad. They're frustrated. They're overwhelmed. They feel alone. They feel unseen. They feel unheard and raised to stay has become a place for people to have these dialogues. And I will say, I will block people in a hot second if they are dropping F-bombs, if they're being hateful, because that's not what this is for. Mm -hmm. But if you want to come in and say, hey, this happened to me, like, can you help me understand if this is like truly abuse or if this is just me being really sad and hurt right now? And we don't like to be vulnerable. Christians do not like to be vulnerable. Yeah, no, it's, it is something that. um... Ironically, it's one of the highest callings, I think of scripture and of yeah. Christ to follow Jesus is to be vulnerable. Right. I mean, I think that's, I, mean, I think I was, I was 39 yeah. before I really learned that learned vulnerability. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was like, like to be transparent. Um, it was sort of the same window of time that, that you talked about sort of really being able to go, Hey, this is what's going on. Like, and this is who I am yeah. because I think as, as ministry people, um, there's these veneers and these facades we paint and, and they're super fragile. Like we don't want anybody intruding on them, um, especially I think in the, the the tribe we came from and the just the Pentecostal tribes in general, like vulnerability was not a thing. We had to keep up the face. We had to keep up the look, keep up the family had to be OK. Um, so how have you sort of been able to navigate that traditional mindset of like, hey, everything's got to look OK to getting into a space where you are today to go, hey, listen, it can be broken and I'm still OK. Yeah. I mean, let's ask ourselves the question, what good has looking perfect done any of us? Right. Yeah. I mean, what has it done? All it's done is created a false sense of security, a false sense of salvation, a false sense of, um, a broken world that when people then walk into a broken church, they're like, well, this isn't what social media says it is. This isn't what I'm watching on YouTube. Um, we have gained nothing as the church by looking like we have it all together. Yeah. And, you know, I just feel like I don't want to be intimate or vulnerable just for the sake of intimacy or vulnerability. I think that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. You just put yourself out there and let yourself bleed all over the place, you know, just for the sake of that. Um, but I do think people feel very alone in their law and their hurt. I think people feel like they're the only ones that, the number one comment that I get on my post is, oh my gosh, I finally feel so seen. That is the number one comment I get most on my black boxes. 
Jesus got down on people's level and he saw them. He saw them where they were in their sin. He saw them where they were in their pain. And we as Christians don't know how to be in pain. We don't know how to wrestle. And that's what I'm learning now in this raised to stay community is people don't want us to heal them. They want us to wrestle with them and lead them to the healer. Mm. And they may want instant gratification, but this generation wants longevity and relationship. They don't just want us to spew out what it was like when we were younger and why technology is screwing up all of our lives. They really want us to sit in the pain with them. And we have to be willing to learn how to sit in pain. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I I'm just trying to think through a, a conversation here. I, I hope I asked the question correctly, or at least well enough for you to kind of engage with it. We we, we have young adults who are growing up in essentially non-Christian environments, essentially non-word centric culture, right? We're post-Christian society for the most part at this point. So they don't really have so much of a experiential framework for church hurt as much as they do a perceived understanding of, of church hurt. Like this is what the church does. And so therefore I'm not interested, right? So how are you combating the perceived idea of church is not a safe place for you to be versus um, the actual people who are engaging, who who have been abused, et cetera. Like, I think those are two different fights. And so I'm not sure necessarily if you're trying to fight one or fight them both or whatever, but, but I'd love to hear what you have to say. Like when you engage with young adults and they say, well, I don't want to come to church because my aunt, you know, or my cousin or whatever, like how, how are you engaging with those questions? You know, I just turn everybody back to wonder, um, I just think, I wonder what has made that person feel that way. I wonder why they think that all churches are bad. I have to go back to a sense of wander and not try to fix people. Mm. I always say that prodigals aren't projects. And one of your questions here was like, what did you learn in college that, you know, you don't learn in seminary. And and I think that's one of them is that people are not projects and young adults certainly know when we are patronizing them, they know when we are just giving them the easy answer. And our pastors here say that trust is earned and drops and lost in buckets. And I really do believe with this younger generation that they are looking for people that they can trust, who can handle their questions, who aren't going to just push them off to another leader, who are going to sit with them in the political debates and sit with them in all of their theological questions. You're right. We have, we lack a generation that has experience and encounter, but we also lack one that has formation. Mm -hmm. They also don't understand the formation of the Bible and the biblical principles behind how we're supposed to turn the other cheek and how we are supposed to keep coals on the heads of those who have hurt us. It's just, there's so many things that in formation we're missing. And so we have to be willing to, first of all, ourselves, have encounter information with the Lord, but second of all, be willing to really teach and not just push off a bunch of hot takes. This generation is living off hot takes, which is why on my black boxes, I always detach a scripture to them because man cannot live on hot takes alone. Right. (laughs) So we have to, with this generation, not just push them to the Bible, but live it with them and show them a Jesus that they are desperate to know. And I love that thought. I literally posted uh, yesterday, um, or this generation, the next generation is 
is not taking sound bites as sound doctrine. I think they they know they deserve better than that, right? So so this hot take theology or this hot take understanding of faith or Jesus or whatever, it's not sufficient. You know what I'm saying? I, I think that's such a keen point, which which as leaders, which is leaders should scare the stuff out of us because we can't just passively perform anymore like we were accustomed to doing, being successful, whatever that means, or being effective and whatever that means. I think it's requiring us thing requiring of us things that make us as leaders very uncomfortable. And so there's an adjustment on that side too. Absolutely. And you guys, like we were not taught how to disciple. We were not taught how to mentor. We are this like hidden generation. We're this bridge that has served as the bridge between the baby boomers and traditionalists. And now these Gen Zers were over here as this bridge and we haven't complained about it. We haven't really been um, super like mad that we've been overlooked for some things because people want the next hottest and brightest thing. But what we do find out is that we are starting to step into places of leadership and we haven't really been taught how to disciple the next generation because nobody really invested into us. They were so busy holding on to their empires. And I'm going to be honest, Mm -hmm. there's some denominations that are going to have to decide if they're going to be a nursing home or they're going to bring revival. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to hold on to your church because you're 75 or 80 and you refuse to pass it off to the next generation because you don't want to lose something you've built, that is going to kill off the next generation of not just denominations, but Christians, because the whole point of the kingdom is to give away, to help multiply and add to through generosity of ministry and calling. And so I am a little nervous that the baby boomers and the traditionalists are the first to finally go to college, to finally have their seminary degrees, to finally have their own church. And they're looking at our generation and thinking, well, they'll just kind of like hold it down until we're ready to retire. But there was no investment into us. And now all this bright and shiny stuff is coming up who have no context for experience, have no life experience. And we're handing them entire churches without any discipleship or mentorship. And that's why people are getting hurt because there was no biblical formation to prepare them to take over an entire congregation. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, rant over. No, no, no. No, no. It's a beautiful rant. There's like nine different thoughts in my head about this. We just added an hour to the show. Listen, as Gen Xers, we live it. Like I am like at 40, whatever I was, 44, planting the first church. First time as a senior leader. Um, Some of it was because there wasn't space. Some of it was because of seasons of life. There are people my age who are just getting into the the senior level of leadership things because people have been holding down spots. And I had to make a conscious decision as as a midlife person going, am I going to hoard it or am I going to give it away what I just got? And so our whole church thought is like, hey, we're giving as much space to young adults as possible in the boundary lines to form them and shape their callings because we have to like, like I I'm on a ticking time clock. Like I can't pastor till 75. The church won't survive. So I got to go, Hey, I got to get people moved quickly into their calling so that they can do what God's called them to do because the kingdom's better if everybody's better. And so it's, it's this weird tensions we live at. If, if anybody else is a Gen X or, you know, the tension, like we live oh, in absolutely. it, like we just got there and we got to give it away. Yeah. Like, Yeah. And with raise to stay, honestly, I found myself really frustrated because I started this account in 2019. I was sitting in a coffee shop in Florida and I was like, I'm just going to go ahead and make it its own thing. 
started the raise to stay Instagram account and had 1200 followers when I signed my book contract and everybody was like, well, we would love to sign you, but you need more followers. You need more followers. And I'm like, guys, I never came into ministry to be famous. I came Mm -hmm. in to impact the people God has entrusted to me. And I think this generation is so quick to want followers, but what they don't understand is that when you have followers, you have to pastor those followers. You have to hear those followers. You have to love those followers. And somebody on a podcast was like, Natalie, I don't understand why you don't have more followers. And I said, I do because I told the Lord to only give me what I could handle. And if he wasn't in it, I didn't want it. And I didn't start to see this exponential growth until this summer in August, when I went from 7,000 to 25,000 within three weeks. And I have never in my life asked the Lord for more followers, but I have asked him that that he would help me be faithful, that he would show me where to be obedient and the words that he has given me, they're not mine, they're his. And so I have no idea why he has chosen to breathe life on these words, Mm -hmm. but I will tell you that I feel the weight of it every day. And then if he would have given this to me at 22, I would have totally messed it up. Yeah. And so this generation is wanting something that God is not ready to give them. And we have to be able to model in our age now, how to willfully and rightfully steward the things that God gives us and how to share and how to be generous and to not be grabby because I would have self-imploded had this happened to me at 25, when I was asking the Lord to give me the nations. And I didn't even know the name of my next door neighbor. Right. So this is just like, I'm coming to you now at 43 and saying like, God is in it all, but man, like there is a weight Right. Everything he asked us to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's somebody else who had a lot of followers. I think his name was Jesus had a lot of followers and then he would say hard things and those people would leave. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, Peace. so, so followers <laughs> don't really equal much for no. all the book people out there. Followers like Jesus had a bunch and he's got a real good book, Yeah, but, <laughs> but it didn't mean a whole lot when he said hard things and they bailed, yeah. you know, no. I think, and I think it's, and, and I don't want to derail on this too often because this, I think this is a little bit of, Maybe this is my own personal. Okay, it's your podcast. Rant. It's our That's podcast. Fine. That's fine. You say. It's okay, but I think I think it's part of the frustration that we see with our generation. It's like, um, and again, some of our very closest friends, yeah, 25, 26, 27 years old, 30, 40,000 followers on Instagram, getting book deals to write about content which they've not actually been able to live out, and that's risky to me. Again, it sounds like it's a criticism. And they're phenomenal leaders. Like I, I get it. Like they're amazing leaders, but they haven't. They don't have the salt and the scars. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. If you've a, only been married three years, don't write a marriage book, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, so I think I think it's a risk that we're taking in the kingdom. It, that's just one very very small sliver. No, but you're not the only one. I mean, right? I've got I, I've got mentors in my life who, if I were to say their names, and I won't because I refuse to name drop, but I have mentors in my life who we all know who are very involved in worship ministry and ministry. And they will call me and be like, Natalie, why is this generation so grabby? Why will they not let us teach them something so that they actually have something to write about, something to sing about, something to teach about. And that breaks my heart because I know that the only reason I'm here doing what I'm doing is because of the ground that that generation has plowed before me to make it fertile for my seed. And I don't want to ever be ungrateful for the things that the generations before us have done 
that have taught me how to be in this space right now. Yeah. And I just think if we're not careful, we're going to raise up a bunch of really temperamental babies who just think they can get what they want when they want it. And then when we do say, Hey, that's not, that's not right. Then they call church hurt or mm-hmm. church abuse. And we're yeah. over here like, <laughs> and it's, it's not even, it's not even when we say it's not right or, or, right. you know, they could be better. Like, let, let's just take that off the board. Let's take us out of the equation. We all know at our age, life happens, ministry, ministry happens. Mm-hmm. And when your when your faith or your formation and your, and your ministry is built around an image or an idea. Okay. When life or ministry happens and there are real people in your face asking real questions about real hurts, about real situations, and you can't walk them through it. You you know what I'm saying? Like, I I think there's a, there's a, I I, I agree. And and, and I know we've been, so I want to redirect this a little bit. So we've been on the church hurt thing and that that happens and it's bad. We also sit with some young adults that we love dearly. Absolutely. who drink everything we say. Absolutely. Like they want to be mentored. They want to be taught. Hungry some, for it. some of these people that we, that, that I think come to mind are killing it right now, doing great things because they've been willing to sit with people. Right. Because they've been, and I think that's the delineation distinction that we're seeing people who are seeing not just success, success is a moving object, but impact kingdom impact. Right. Are the ones who sit with us and go, Hey, here are my mentors. Here are the people pouring into me. Here's what I need to know. Can you tell me who to go ask? Yeah. Like, so there's a delineation that that there's some wins in the generation of people who are willing to sit and be invested. Now, I love their zeal because they don't sit with it long. Yeah. Like as soon as they get it, like they're sharing it and they're giving yeah. it away. Um, but there's there are those leaders we know who are willing to be invested into. I think they're the outliers, the ones that will, will hopefully be yeah. able to stay and last. We're, we're at the time of this recording, probably a hundred or just over a hundred episodes. It's in, maybe a hundred. Right? I think I cannot think of a single leader we've had on this show under the age of 30 who did not tell us that mentors were the critical. Oh, it's were in every a, were a critical piece of their formation. Right. So, so for the young adults that are really engaging and submitting themselves to not just older generation, but other leaders who are just a season ahead of them or a couple seasons ahead of them. Those are the ones that I think that are really, really getting it. You know what I'm saying? I, th- I think of the conversation we had with, and we will name drop because he was on our show, Sam Chan, if you know Sam, yeah. who was like mid 60s when we talked to him. Yeah. And he's like, I have 12 mentors in my life currently. Like, it's you're never done being shaped. Yeah. Yeah. Like you and I, we, we are, we, we're not done being shaped. There are people in our lives currently. Who are shaping and speaking into Trust us? Me, at my age, my shape is changing, bro. It's <laughs> it's hard to find the shape, bro. bro. It's it's the shape of a cookie. I think. It's yeah, funny. I'm like, listen, we can we can uh, separate. We don't have to mix bathe anymore, people. That's good. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can all stay that. separate. We fought that fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that fight's well, done. And you know, it's why I always say, like, sit with the wise, not the popular. Because yeah. I think that we do go into big churches and we see the names and we see the lights and we see the platforms and God. God gives us grace for all of the positions that he puts us in, but to really find the sages, to find the ones who have lived 20 years ahead of us and are still in the, like, uh, on the fighting field. And I remember when I was praying over who would write the foreword for this book, which I can't say yet, um, publicly, but the Lord said, not a celebrity, a general. 
And yeah. do you know how hard it is to find yeah. people in their six, like 65 and over who are still here and don't have some right. scandal attached to their name or like are now off, like, you know, doing something completely different. And I really thought like this generation, like we really can be responsible for creating um, ministries and, and encounters with the Lord and formation that leads people to be generals and not celebrities. Yeah. And, and we become people that they trust for our wisdom, not because of our influence. Yeah. You know, yeah. Now I want to, I want to sort of win on, in, end on some wins here. So you've had raises stay now. It really took off this summer. I'm sure there's lots of people going, Oh, I feel that what's been maybe a story or two where somebody is sharing a win where they've over, they, where they have stayed, they've been hurt. They've had the harm, but they chose to stay and they saw God's blessing out of it. Is it okay if I give you my, my most recent one personally? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So last August, the very church that we were so hurt by my senior year of high school. They are now pastored by someone who was in my youth group at the time. Mm. And last July, they called me and they said, Natalie, would you come lead worship for the 100 year anniversary? And I didn't even know what to say because I haven't been there like since really, you know, and the Lord said, you know, you're writing this book on reconciliation and I think it would be good for you to, to go lead worship for that. So I flew in and I drove into the church parking lot and the parsonage where I had lived for all those years was torn down and it was overgrown in some areas. And the blue bus that we drove in wasn't there anymore. And I just like so many emotions like came over mm-hmm. me because it was truly the church that built me in so yeah. many ways. And I walked in the side door where I'd always walked in to go play the piano and do everything when I was little. And, um, it smelled the same. It looked Mm -hmm. the same. And I walked into the sanctuary and it was like time had stood still. And on the platform were all of these people who had been part of my life at some point. And the ladies that I swore were 80 when I was 12 were still there. They must've only been like 50 because they were still in the (laughs) sanctuary sitting in their same spots. And I get up there to lead worship and the new pastor gets up there and he introduces all of us who are on the platform. And he said, this is Natalie uh, Thomas, now Natalie Runyon. And you hear this like kind of audible gasp in the sanctuary. And you could tell people are leaning in and the lights to kind of see, to see me. And he, and he said, this is Ron Thomas's daughter, one of our favorite pastors to ever pastor this church. And the whole room goes up in applause. Wow. And I realized in that moment that like what the enemy had made me think was an exodus, like an, I, like, you know, just complete exile was actually the goodness of God and his exodus for our family to give us the opportunity to go somewhere and heal and go through some things, but that those people didn't hate us. Those people loved us. And afterwards they're coming up to me and they're hugging me and they're saying, tell your daddy. I said, hi, he was my favorite hunting buddy. And tell your mom, I miss her voice. She was my favorite worship leader. And just in that moment, I wished my own parents could see that Mm -hmm. they weren't hated, that they were loved. And the Lord said, this is why we stay to see the reconciliation that I am for. I am a reconciling God. And so many of us will quit before we actually see the redemption. And we think about the thing that hurts us the most, like this is going to be the thing that kills me. This is going to be the thing that does me in. 
And I think about the cross, the cross wasn't the beginning of Jesus's death. It was the start of his resurrection. Yeah. And what we have to remember is that the thing that's hurting us right now is not the beginning of our death, but it is the beginning of a resurrection. If we're willing to sit in the tomb for a little bit, if we're willing to be in the dark, if we're willing to fight, if we're willing to wait, that there will be a moment of reconciliation, even if it is 25 years later, like mine was. And that is my story of staying and why I'm so glad I didn't quit. I would have never seen that moment if I would have quit. That's so great. Yeah, I I love your story. I love what you're doing, not just on Instagram, but I think you're what you're doing for the kingdom in general, because I think this is such an undeveloped, untalked about converse, you know, conversation that just needs to happen. Yeah, it needs to happen if yeah, it just needs to happen. So I mean, I'm I'm so grateful for you and for what you're doing. We do have the last question that we that we ask on the show, which you kind of referred to earlier, and um, and I want to ask it. I kind of feel I feel no, uh, ask it again, and I want to ask it again. Yeah, but you got another answer. Ask I want, it again. I want two more hours of of conversation. We'll just we'll cut the recording. We'll, we'll cut the talking. recording. We'll keep talking. <laughs> so okay, but for our listeners out there, uh, our final question is. Uh, you know, something we ask every guest on the show. So what is one lesson you learned in, in the classroom? I'm sorry, in college that did not take place in the classroom. I really am just, there's so many things, especially not going to, not going to seminary because I felt like I had all the answers. I think the thing that college taught me was that we're always going to be learning from each other, from situations that we've never arrived, that there will always be something that God wants to teach us. And we have a urgent responsibility to be teachable, um, and to let him finish that work that he began in us. And it is going to take every ounce of our pride. We're to lay it all down at his feet, Mm. know that none of us have arrived, but when we hear well done, good and faithful servant, that's when we stop learning. Wow. That's good. That's good. Natalie, this has been an absolute joy. And I hope just, just the beginning of our friendship, um, just love what you're doing. And as we always say here, the leadership drip, you've got a seat at the table. Thanks, Natalie. Loved having you on. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the leadership drip. If something from this episode helped you lead better, then share it on your social media and tag us. If we see it, we may share it to our channels. We appreciate you taking time to join us. And remember, you always have a seat at the table.